You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. You may remember, I think it was about two weeks ago, I put in the pastor's epistle, uh, the question, what should the priorities be of a church that delights in honoring God? Uh, a question every church should ask itself, and I think especially as we're looking at revitalization, it's a church that a question we need to come back to. Uh, and so I put it out there ahead of time for you to get thinking about this. You know, what, what are the priorities of a church? Uh, and I think one of those that we're going to touch on this morning as kind of a, a primer is simply worship. Uh, we almost take that for granted. You come to church, you, you come to worship. And you open up your bulletin, it might say worship service. Uh, there's elements in there that we would equate with worship. But, but what does it mean to worship God? And what does that mean to say it's a, it's a priority of a church? Uh, so look at me at Psalm 63. And the Psalms are filled with many teachings on worship, uh, but we're looking in particular at the 63rd Psalm. And you may know that the book of Psalms is divided into five books, possibly mirrored after the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Book of Psalms is divided into five separate books. Psalm 63 is in book two of this entire section of the Psalms. Uh, To give you an idea of maybe what is going to be in book two, listen to how Psalm 42, which begins book two, begins. Psalm 42, one says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for my God. So that's how this section begins. Then the section concludes with Psalm 72. And Psalm 72 ends with these words. Psalm 72 concludes in verse 19 with this sort of benediction. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So there you have a a section in particular that begins with talking about thirsting after God, ends with saying everything is to be focused on God. And so in that, we come to Psalm 63, and I want us to sort of peel back some of the comments here about worship, 
to look at simply what's the attitude in worship that we should have. Uh, secondly, dealing with the expression of worship. What, what should worship look like? And then one that's something we all have to deal with, how do you best prepare for worship? And so let's go to the beginning of this psalm and look particular at simply the attitude in worship. Uh, probably for many of us, Sunday morning is a field day for Satan. Uh, you know, we're rushing to get out of the house. We're traveling to church. Uh, whatever conversations happen in the car or before you leave the house, we all know how we can come saying we're coming to worship, but we've already got our thoughts jumbled up and stressed out and maybe even anxious. Well, look at the beginning of this psalm in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The attitude of worship should be that worship is participatory. It, it does involve worshipers. It's not merely we're spectators. But yet the worship is not about us. It is about God. And so how do you get that focus repeatedly down in our thoughts and in our minds? Well, I think David reminds us here, it begins with having a right understanding of God. You notice this psalm has a little title to it, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Um, what this is referring to, a time in David's life when he is on the run. He, he basically is a fugitive. And he, he's either fleeing from Saul or probably more likely fleeing from his son, Absalom. So he cannot get back to Jerusalem, which is a strategic location for corporate worship. And, and you have this yearning that he has, that he wants to be back, not, not just to a place of safety, he wants to be back in God's house with, with God's people. But you notice as it began in verse 1, he uses the simple title God. Oh, God, you are my God. And then if you drop down later, you'll see in verse 11, you have the reference to God again. And it will occur four times in this particular psalm. Uh, and it's the same title. In Hebrew, he is Elohim. And David's emphasizing here, he is the God of all creation. He, he is the God over all things. Which is how book two ended in Psalm 72, 19, saying he is to be praised, he's the God of everything. So when we think about our attitude in worship, we want to start thinking about what is my understanding of God? And in fact, is that really saying that if I have a poor or weak understanding of God and of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that that will negatively impact my concept of worship, that my worship of God will be small. It will be limited. And so you see in that first verse, David talks about everything about him hungers for that God. In other words, there's complete humility and dependence because David is proclaiming the greatness of God. Now, where did he learn that? Through the teaching of God's word, through the history of Israel recorded in the Old Testament. But continuing, go down to verses 2 and 3, and we see David's understanding of God by the attributes he references here. 
And these attributes are representative. There's more than just these attributes of God's character. But notice in verse 2, he speaks of, I beheld your power and your glory. I beheld your mighty acts. Again, think of the position where David is. He's, he's on the run. He, he's fearful of his life. And in that situation, he's saying, but my thoughts turn to your powerful acts. In other words, the, the attitude of worship is permeating his circumstances. And I'm sure for some of us, sometimes on a Sunday morning, we may not feel like getting up, especially in the winter, getting up, starting the car, cleaning the car off, and coming to worship. But worship isn't about your circumstances. It's not even about what was your week like this week. But it's about who's God. Is, it, is he the same? Is he the same God that David's talking about here? You, you have seen his power in your life. You, you have seen his glory, his splendor, his magnificence. Notice that he speaks there as well in verse 2. I beheld your power and your glory, beginning of verse 3, because your love is better than life. And the love that he speaks of there is that covenant faithfulness of God to his people. So here is David as, I would anticipate, if he's running from Absalom, he's king of Israel, and he's speaking of a love that means more to him than anything else. You know, do those attributes of God mean everything to you and to me? And is that reflected in our attitude of worship? Notice verse 5. He goes on and says, My soul be satisfied is with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So remember we said worship involves us. We, we don't come into God's house as spectators. And too often today, I think, in the professionalizing of so many fields and occupations, that in some settings, church is becoming something you go to watch someone do something. You, you go to watch the music being performed. You go to watch a, a pastor perform before you. But that's not really what the heart of worship is about. Worship is us recognizing who God is. And so you notice in that verse I just read, David says, my lips will praise you. Literally, my lips will exalt, they will boast about you. So when we sing our choruses, we're boasting about God, or we should be. We're, we're boasting Jesus is the best friend anyone could ever have. And not, not demeaning his character by saying, well, he's a friend. Yeah, he's, he's still God. He's, he's holy. But, but we're boasting of our relationship with him in Christ. And David here is boasting and saying, in worship, my attitude is I will boast of God, not complain about my circumstances, although there is a place for bringing that before God, as we'll see. But the focus is on worship. Notice verse 7. He elaborates a little further. Because you are my help. Uh, you have supported me. You, you have been a deliverer for me. Now, if David is confident God has delivered him in the past, then during this time of running, he's confident God will deliver him in the future. Not only has he been my help, you, you are my help. 
you will continue to be by help. And then finally in verse 8, as we think of a right understanding and teaching of God, he says, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. You, you have your grip on me. Now again, think of this. David is saying this, not just because he has a right understanding of God, but he has a right relationship with God. These are not the words that would come off the lips of someone who does not know God. This is not what someone who is a Christian can, or this is not what someone who isn't a Christian can say. They, they can say, God, you are my helper. And, and God, you are faithful in your love towards me. Because they don't know God. So when we think of our attitude in worship, now it's further clarified by right teaching and right understanding. But do you have a right relationship with God? Not a perfect one, because all of us have areas God's working on. But, but generally, is your relationship with God what it should be? Because you probably caught in this psalm, and I did not take the time to count, but in verses 1 through 10, a whole bunch of personal pronouns. I, my, me. David's speaking of his own relationship with God. He, he's not talking about it as if he's describing something in a very general way. It, this is personal. This is his God that he clings to. You're my God. And what a thought when we think of worship, that when we come into God's presence, you're worshiping your God. You're not coming just saying, well, I'm worshiping the pastor's God, or I'm worshiping the God of New Hope Community Church. Hopefully those are all one and the same, but it's, it's out of your personal relationship that you are worshiping, that you are ascribing and recognizing who God is. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we see the emphasis of worship certainly carries over throughout the New Testament, uh, as you may have picked up even in the meditation reading. Uh, Jesus would talk about the Father seeks worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit, there is lowercase, kind of indicating the right attitude, the right relationship. But then notice what 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, tell us about the church and worship. Peter writes, beginning at verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And you may recall I said last week that the word church only appears two times in the Gospels, appears other times in the rest of the New Testament, but in the Gospels, the word is never used in talking about a building. It's used in reference to believers, believers being built up as precious stones, as Peter says here. But notice how he concludes his statement. We gather together in worship to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, this may seem evident, but I wonder if too many times we're guilty of coming to worship to receive something rather than to offer something. 
And there's a vast difference there. If I come to offer, I'm clearly focusing on not myself. Whereas if I come to receive, it's all about me. What, what, what did I get out of this, the message? What did I get out of the service? Were, were those my favorite courses or not? We, we tend to be more critical and self-focused when we're thinking we're coming to get something. That's not worship. That, that's consumerism. Now, is it true that when we worship God, there are blessings? Absolutely. But that's the result of worship. That's not the definition of worship. And so all of that helps clarify in this 63rd Psalm, why is David coming before God? Yes, there's a legitimate need in his life. He's, he's on the run. But he's coming before God because God is God. That's the object of his worship. If he was merely coming to say, God, I'm in trouble, get me out of this, then that would not be worship. That would be self-centeredness. So that gives us a, a little bit of a window into the priority of worship. What are we referring to? But then let's direct our attention back to Psalm 63 and the expression of worship. I notice I didn't want to begin with talking about the activity of worship because sometimes that can mislead us, where we get focused too much on, well, is this worship or not? You know, if we stand during scripture reading, is that more worshipful than if we sit down during scripture reading? Or if we sing worship choruses, is that more worshipful than singing hymns? If we start on the right foundation, we get the attitude right. Now we look at the expression. What should worship or what might worship look like? And it's very interesting that in the Bible, we do not have a specific order of worship recorded for us. And in many cases, probably churches today would say that would be the answer. You know, if we could just open our Bible and say, oh, here God says, here's how a worship service should look. We don't have a specific order. But at the same time, we do have guidelines. We, we do have parameters that help us say, this is what worship should look like when expressed correctly. And so you see that in this psalm. Notice that, first of all, corporate worship grows out of personal worship. We, we must never forget that. Corporate worship grows out of our practice of personal worship. Because you get to verse 6, and although we'll see David begins by talking about he misses being in the sanctuary. That's, that's corporate worship. But notice verse 6. On my bed, I remember you, and I think of you through the watches of the night. Why does he hunger and thirst for God? Because he thinks and hungers for God throughout the week. Not just on Sunday, not just on well, Saturday, the Sabbath, the people of Israel. But he, he thinks, notice the, the wording there, some translations have, I think, I, I meditate. I, I go over these things when all is quiet. And we know for many of us, that's a time where sometimes your mind starts racing about all kinds of things right when you go to bed. Some of us hit the pillow and we're out. But we know what it's like to kind of wrestle with things. 
David says, right, you know what? I, I think about God in the midst of all that. So he's talking about personal worship. But the psalm is filled with reminders of elements of what corporate worship should include. And that, in other words, worship is spiritual worship. So, for example, notice verse 1. It is a lament when he starts out. He's lifting up a genuine concern and need before God. When he says that I seek you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And he's not just giving a physical description here of, you know, the geography of the Middle East. I think he's using this as a metaphor to talk about where he is right now, even spiritually. He, he's dry. He's, he's scared. He's fearful. He doesn't know what the future holds. So oddly enough, worship should include the ability to lament, to bring the real world into our place of worship and lift that up before God. In one sense, I probably don't need to tell you this because all of us are old enough to know the world's messy. Relationships in our life can get messy. That's the real world we live in. There's hurt, there's pain, there's difficulty, there's unanswered questions. We should bring those to worship. When we're joined in the pastoral prayer, those are things we should be praying about before God, bring into his presence. And David does not hesitate to think this is not complaining, but he's being brutally honest with God. Here is my, my lament. I'm, I'm spiritually exhausted. I'm confused. I don't doubt you're there. Notice this isn't a disbelief because who is he calling out to? My God, my God. So worship must include that. It must include clearly prayer. I will unpack some of these more in the weeks to come, but, but prayer is not just a filler in the worship service. It's not just a means to get the service started or to somehow wrap it up and throw a prayer at the end. Uh, it is an important thread that should run throughout worship. In David's prayer, he's humbling himself. He's recognizing his dependence. Notice in verse 2, it says, I have seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and your glory. Now, David doesn't mention this, but I think it should be a given that one of the key elements in worship, I would say a central element, is the word of God. And we could go to other Psalms, especially Psalm 119, that clearly puts out there, the word of God reveals the power of God, the glory of God. And that's how we have a knowledge of God, through the written word and through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we should expect that a worship service, even our personal worship, would be grounded in what did the scriptures say? What do the scriptures teach about this God and about his will for me? Clearly, verses 3 through 5 talk about singing and praising God. That is an important element in worship that directs our hearts 
to acknowledge who God is. It, it takes things that maybe we could not express and other gifted individuals have put that into song. And we're sort of saying, we're going to borrow your words and use them to offer that back to you. Those are important elements in worship. But I think it's vital for us to see those elements are all pointing us toward the centrality of the Word of God being taught. Where it's very interesting today in, in speaking with people who go to many different churches, I often hear people kind of almost emphasize like it's the music that's worship, not so much the message. And you could argue that's clearly relevant and lived out in many churches where the music now is overtaking a majority of the service. Now, again, we're saying music is important. It is an element of worship. David talks about singing and praising God. But not that that should somehow overshadow the teaching of God's word. And then notice in verses 9 through 11, David says, They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced or stopped. Should worship always end, leaving us in a greater sense of humility before God and confidence in God. Because as far as I know, when David finished kind of this prayer, this time of worship, I don't think his circumstances had changed. I think he left God's presence and he was still running. But notice his confidence in it. He says, God is going to deal with this. He will deal with my enemies. He will deliver me from this. And it sort of leaves me be thinking, when worship concludes in one sense, and by that I mean the service ends according to the clock, shouldn't we leave not saying, wow, look, the world looks different. My circumstances have changed. But no, our confidence and assurance is in what God will do, even if he hasn't done that yet. But probably another question we should look at is simply how to better prepare for worship. Clearly, worship is a priority in the church, priority among God's people. We have a better grasp of the elements of how that should be expressed. But how do you better prepare for worship? Well, you might read verse 1 and be like, I, I wish I felt that way. You know, that David says, I earnestly seek after you. You have this, this picture of one who strains to want to be in God's presence. Well, it might be helpful to remember, why does David feel that way? Because he knows that God has first earnestly sought after him. So he's not doing this saying, well, I'm going to show God how much I love him by seeking after him. He's saying, I seek after God because he sought after me. I think of the psalm where it says that God sought after David when he was a shepherd to make him shepherd over Israel. And I think that would revolutionize our worship if we thought it's not just, well, God, make me kind of feel this way. Let me get into my head 
you have sought after me in Christ Jesus. You, you came to seek and to save sinners, of which I am the chief of those. That would change our perspective on worship. We're, we're earnestly seeking him. Why? Because he sought us out in Christ Jesus. So remember when you come to worship, who's seeking who first? He has sought after you. But secondly, you can look in verse 4. Remember, worship is not a once-a-week activity. In verse 4, David says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. If we describe Sunday morning as the worship service, that could send the wrong message. Now, not that it's wrong to say, well, we worship on Sunday mornings, but if that is in your head that that's worship, that's when I go to worship. Then I leave, and then I go off in my normal, everyday life. We're, we're missing something David understood. Worship is an everyday activity. David says, I will praise you. I will worship you as long as I live. Whether he's in the sanctuary in Jerusalem, which he longs to get back to, or he's on the run from Saul or Absalom, he will worship God. Think of all the different directions all of us run during the week. You can worship God as you're doing those tasks, as you're doing your work and the professional way in which you carry out your job. You can do that as an act of worship unto God. It doesn't substitute corporate worship, but it should be an act of worship. As you're driving in the car and you notice some of the beauty around us, worship God for who he is. I was thinking on the way over, just as I was praying about the message, I come up Jones Hill Road. And if any of you ever done that, you have this like beautiful view of all the mountains. And it, it struck me, not just the beauty of them this morning, but, but the reminder often in the Old Testament, God will say things like this to his people. I will call the mountains as witnesses against you. In other words, I'm, I'm going to call all that was here before you as a testimony against you. Why didn't you worship me? Why did you not recognize me? You have no excuse. The mountains and the hills will bear witness against you. And so in preparing for worship, let's remember and, and get into our heads, worship is not a once a week, a one hour part of our life. And then finally, I think in this psalm we see, remember that your participation in corporate worship reveals the priority of your personal worship. And I don't think we can get away from that. Like, like David's longing to get to Jerusalem, to get back to the sanctuary, was directly because he personally worshiped God. In other words, if, if we're not actively, personally engaging in worship during the week, we're going to have little desire to worship together corporately. It will reveal that. And so you listen in verse 2 when he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. Keep in mind, why is that so important to David? Because he can't be in Jerusalem right now. He, he's a hunted man. But what does he miss? I miss the corporate worship. I miss gathering with God's people. 
And that's one of the things we always pray for, for anyone, for whatever reason they need to miss church, that they would come back with a renewed sense. I miss this. That, that this is where we belong. This is like a little taste of heaven, or should be to us, as we worship God. And then notice verse 5, and this, I think, when you think of the holidays that we just have gone through, David says, my soul be satisfied as with the richest of foods. What is one of the things probably all of us have heard growing up, and you may have even said to your grandkids, we're going to eat soon. Don't spoil your appetite. What are we kind of saying? There's something you really need to point your appetite and focus it on. And if you settle for something less, you're not going to have an appetite. Is this true spiritually? That, that if we don't have that hunger for personal and corporate worship, is it related to maybe we're spoiling our appetite by giving it over to other things? To other things in the world? Other priorities? Other things we focus on in our life? Rather than saying, this is my life. To worship God. To, to come in the right attitude of worship privately during the week, corporately when we gather together, whenever that might be. I was kind of reminded of this in, in an odd way. Uh, obviously, over the holidays, we spent a lot of time with Augie. And we had Jesse and Jen with us, everyone else. Kind of by the end of the week, there was sort of this, I guess, a little family joke. Is watch how Augie acts when he sees me. He gets super excited. And it was kind of funny, but it sort of hit me. Isn't that how we should be in worship? We're, we're excited to come into God's presence. And with Augie, I didn't need to do anything. I just go out the door for a second, come back in, and he gets all fired up. I hadn't done anything. I was only gone for like a minute or two. But shouldn't that be how we are in wanting to be in God's presence? We, we delight in his presence, not at what he's going to do, although we should come confidently with that. We simply delight because of who he is. And that should be a priority, not just of any church that belongs to Christ, but in particular of this church, of your church in my church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, renew in us a right understanding of worship. May we take this psalm, if we read no other passage of Scripture this week, may we read this psalm over and over again so we would understand and thank you that in Christ you seek after us. and That makes us, in response, desire to seek after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.